up on how to treat and chem- uh, cheat in chemistry and get away with it? Is everybody, is everybody at the right workshop? How many took chemistry in college? How many took it? I love it. Inorganic or organic? Organic. Isn't that a bear? I took it. Uh, I took it. Wow. But, uh, made a, I made an A in it, but it was, it was a bear. But uh, I enjoyed organic. I enjoyed that. And it has absolutely nothing to do with this afternoon. <laughs> uh, hopefully we'll get to it uh, in the latter, uh, the session on how do you get there. But uh, I brought along with me, which I keep with me all the time, my, my, purposes, my purpose and my objective for 2015. And as a part of my accountability group that I meet with on Wednesday mornings, we each do this and hand it out to the others, and then we hold each other accountable to this. Under this, I have a, I'm sorry, we're full. Uh, <laughs> uh, under this, we have, I have certain things that I want to see. This is my spiritual objectives, and then I write that out, and then under, I have several things I want to do to accomplish my spiritual objectives. Those are in order of priority. But uh, I wrote up here uh, at the top of my goals and objectives and also on the last page. It is irresponsible to start each week, and I've even changed that to each day, unfocused, unprepared, and uncommitted. So when you start talking about your workplace ministry, uh, it is irresponsible to go to work unfocused, unprepared, and uncommitted. So we want to talk about uh, the, the thing that, that impacts people in any setting is not what you know, it's who you are. It's, it's your character. It's your values. It's the way you do things. It's the way you respond. And let me say this. I'm going to share this, I think, tonight. I might as well reveal some of my thunder here. But there's only three ways that you can glorify God. We're commanded to glorify God. There's only three ways I've been able to figure out you can do that. Number one is uh, in the decisions that you make. That I will do this, I will not do that. I will be this way, I will not be that way. But it's the decisions that you make reflect on the God you claim to follow. The second way that you can glorify God is in the way you react to circumstances. When things go wrong, go awry, when, uh, when you're disappointed, when plans don't work out, and wh- how do you react? How do you react to circumstances? Do you see God in the circumstances? Are you willing to trust Him through the circumstances? But a second way you can glorify God is by the way you react to circumstances. A third way that you glorify God is by the way you treat people. So how do you deal with your colleagues at work? How do you deal with your classmates? How do you respond to them? How do you treat them? <clears throat> I, had a, I, I had a construction crew. I owned a company. And I, I wasn't a big company. I had about 65 employees. We did about $20 million worth of work a year, uh, paving highways and airports and whatever, asphalt paving business. <clears throat> I had a lady that came to work for me. And uh, she didn't get along with her supervisor. 
And I, I, I thought, you know, this is a nice life. I've never had any problem with her at all. And I, I thought, well, what is the deal? So anyway, I spent some time with her, and, and then I spent some time with them, just kind of watching and observing and trying to figure it out. And it, uh, it, one of the things I knew is that there's three levels of relationship. There's people that you consider subordinate to you. I mean, there's some people who say, you know, they're just not up to my level. Uh, they're just they're, they're people that work for me, and they don't have the education I have or the experience that I have. Uh, and in your own mind, you may not verbalize it, but those people are subordinate to you. You think that way. And that's not unusual. And then there's some people that you consider your peers. They're equals to you. Kind of got about the same education, same responsibility at work, do the same type of job, do the same quality of work, and you consider them your peers. And then there are some people you, you, computer, you consider your superiors. They're your boss. They're sharper than you are. They've got more responsibility than you do. And you consider them your superiors. How do you treat those three people? How do you treat your subordinates? As subordinates, how do you treat your peers? How do you treat your superior? Do you kind of suck up to them and polish them up? Or how do you treat people? And the scripture says that's one of the ways that you will glorify me in the way you treat people. And so as we go to work, that's, uh, we want to keep that in mind. Uh, I've, uh, Neil uh, called me, and uh, I think I was already on my way out here, and he said, could you lead a workshop on uh, ministry in the marketplace? So I said, uh, of course. <laughs> so uh, what I did is I took out my old proverbial pad, flopped it down on the console of my pickup, and I began to write. And ideas that came to mind. So I've written down here 11 things, that I, points that I'd like to cover. But let me ask you, is, uh, do you, a lot of times uh, questions probably are more insightful and bring out more necessary information than something that I may have come up with driving down Interstate 10 in Arizona someplace. So what do you, do you have any questions that you want to ask about marketplace ministry at the marketplace? Are you guys graduates? What's the deal? How many of you are graduates? Are you, you're in the marketplace. You're actually contributing to the economy. How many are actually contributing to the economy? <laughs> okay. Very few. We're all going to go broke. <clears throat> the rest of you are on welfare, right? Okay. <laughs> but uh, you're going, you'll be there. You will be there. And make your mom and dad proud. They will get a big raise the day you step into the marketplace and stop sucking them dry. Trust me on that one. But the, uh, let, me just, uh, let me start some things, and you, uh, you can uh, ask questions and interrupt at any time because this is, this is for you. It's kind of an informal workshop. But uh, the first thing I had down, and I went back over my list several times. I think I've got them in what I would consider priority. But the first thing I wrote down is that you always want to fly the flag. I mean, right off. You don't play peekaboo Christianity. But you fly the flag. You let them know right off by the way you live, by the things that you say, your language, your comments, that, uh, that your faith is an integral, critical part of your life. And you don't make that a, a brash statement or a, an arrogant type of an approach. You just simply are honest. I, you know, and you're honest. And when situations come up, you might say, you might say comments, you know, where do you, where, where do you guys go to church? And, and uh, But you're flying the flag. This is who I am. God is an integral, critical part of my life. 
And that's just the way I live. And I talk about Him. And I talk about His Word. His Word is critical to me. And you're, you're just flying the flag. You're, you're being honest. You're not trying to put, play sneaky, sneaky uh, that I don't want them to know uh, unless that affect my status on the job. You don't, you don't play that game. And if you get fired because you're a believer, wonderful. Wonderful. You didn't belong there anyway. But uh, fly the flag. That's the first thing. Don't play, don't play what I call peekaboo Christianity. But, uh, you know, let, let, just live your faith from day one. If you want to have a little symbol on your desk or something of that nature, great. If you want to take your verse back with you, I pretty much keep my verse back with me. Uh, and I probably don't have it now, but I said that. But... Um, but I keep my verse. And so you, uh, you come into your office and you lay your verse back up on your desk. Lay it up there. And then maybe when you go to lunch, you pick it up and take it with you and review some of your verses. Somebody walks by and says, what's that? And you, you say, well, these are Bible verses that I memorized to help me to be a better man, a better woman. You, you're just flying the flag. Uh, and you can interrupt or comment. You not only ask questions, you comment. But number two I wrote down is in order to gain a hearing, you must be the best. Um, you've got to be an attractive person. The way you do your job, your attitude, your character, your job ability, how, you, how hard you work, how focused you are. That, that is what gains you the platform. And then one guy said, for the layman out in the marketplace, his pulpit for, from which he preaches is his job. That's where you preach from. And that's where you communicate who you are and what you believe and who, and who controls your life. That's what you preach from. That's your pulpit is your job. Douglas Hyde, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Douglas Hyde uh, was a... Uh, a uh, communist after World War II, settled in Great Britain, London, and recruited people to the Communist Party. You know how they did it? He later converted to Catholicism and wrote a book called Dedication and Leadership. Uh, chapter 7 is worth the price of the book. It, uh, I, I think it's probably still in print. But he wrote this book after converting to Catholicism, and he wrote about how the communists accomplished their objectives. You know how they did it? And he trained people to do this. This is one of his jobs. And that is, he said, at your, in your workplace, you have got to be the best guy there. You've got to be, if you're running a mill or a lathe or you're uh, in an assembly plant or whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, you are the best. You are so admirable in everything that you do. And he says, inevitably, what will, what will communicate is that the people that are around you will begin to think, if he is that good in what I can see, he must also be pretty good in the things that I can't see, like politics, like government. And he said, you will win a hearing and you will be able to convert people to communism because you are such a fantastic worker. They think, man, this guy's got it put together. He, he, he must know what he's doing. And it opens the door for people to listen to you, to what you believe in, in other areas. But chapter 7 is entitled, You Must Be the Best. You're, you must have the best attitude. 
You must have the best work ethic. Show up on time. You, you're dressed sharply. You don't look like, you know, as that's, you know, colloquial saying we have down in Texas, you know, you don't come in looking like Joe Snot the Ragman. You know, I mean, you look, you're, you're, you're sharp. Uh, ad, you're attractive. Admirable. You don't come in with flip-flops and a Bermuda shorts and a three-day growth of beard and your hair looking like it had never seen a comb. But I'm serious. I mean, who, who, who is this guy to listen to? Who do we, uh, why should I listen to this guy? He looks like the guy that picks up my trash. Any comments or questions? Uh, but if you impress them in areas that they know, that they will assume that you must be right in areas that they don't know, like Christianity, like God, like Bible. Any comments or questions? You must be the best. If you're going to have a, if you're going to have a witness, if you're going to have, gain a hearing, you've got to be somebody that's attractive. That makes sense? Yes. I'm sorry? You can't be the best? Well, I don't know what job you might be talking about, but uh, if there's some inability that you have that's, uh, that prevents you, that you simply can't be the best, the thing that they will watch it is how hard do you try? How much do you try to be the best? How much do you try to do, the, do it right? And if you're, a, if you're somewhat, my, my, bro, my son, my son, Jeff, uh, he works with handicapped kids in Sunday school, Stonebriar Community Church, and he works in the uh, special needs class. And he, he has some sad stories to tell. But, you know, he just, uh, he loves those kids, and he never treats them any differently. He never treats them like they can't do something. And I think that the thing that people look for is that n maybe not your natural ability, but how hard are you trying? How much effort are you putting out? How good of a job do you want to do? Do you wish you could do? Number three I wrote down is that uh, you must be equipped. You've got to have something to offer. Now, Hebrews, uh, I was in church one Sunday and our pastor made the comment that there were six doxologies at the end of, of some of the New Testament books. The writer just concludes the book with a doxology, this verses of praise. And he, and he said Hebrews is one of those books and he, and he reads Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. So I go home, I read that and I think, man, that is phenomenal. And I memorized it. And it says, and now the God of peace. This is just kind of the writer of the book of Hebrews, just kind of concluding the book and saying, let me just praise God. And so he says, now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Isn't that a great doxology? But equip you. May the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Now, we talked about that a little bit this morning, how God, work, you give your life to God. He works through you, and he does that which is pleasing in his sight. And people are amazed. 
But you've got to have something. You've got to be equipped. And I, uh, 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a great verse. All Scripture, not some, all Scripture is given by, by inspiration of God. God breathed. <clears throat> that, uh, and is profitable. It goes on to say, and is profitable for doctrine, for, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped. No, no, man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the Bible says, if you will get me in your head, I will equip you to do good stuff out there. That's what the Bible says. If you will get me in your head, all Scripture is given by inspiration, is God-breathed, and it's profitable. It's beneficial for, 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 a, for a instruction, for correction, for rebuke, I mean, which is, hey, this is, you, you're doing something wrong. For correction, this is how you do it right. For instructions in righteousness, in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How'd you like to be equipped, thoroughly equipped, to do every good work in the eyes of God? Wouldn't that be neat? And so he says, hey, let me, let me show you a secret. You see this book? You get this thing in your head. And God will use you. Get this thing in your head. And God will equip you through that process to do the, 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 the things that are on his heart. You've got to be equipped. You've got to have something to offer. Any comments or questions on that? Do you have anything to offer? Do you know God? Do you know the Word? Do you know truth? Do you know that stuff? And, you know, I mentioned, I think, earlier, you know, I'm sitting in the jungles of Vietnam. A guy saddles up to me and asks me about life. Do I know what to say? Do I have an answer? He asked me about war and killing and murder. And one guy asked me about his girlfriend or his wife. Because he doesn't know if he'll ever see them again. Do you, do you, or can you help those people? So people saddle up over next to your desk or your workplace or wherever you are, and they ask you a question. Do you have some wisdom? Let me give you a story. This changed my life. This story, this two hours changed who I was. I went out, I told you earlier, I went out, my first navigator assignment, my wife and I were assigned the University of California at Irvine. We knew nobody. Nobody in town, nobody on campus. No students, no pastors, no, nobody. And so we went out there, <coughs> and we went out on that campus. Um, <coughs> and so I decided, after some, uh, a lot of time talking to everybody I could meet and not making much headway, I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put together a survey. And I called my buddy up at Cal Poly Pomona. I said, would you come down and bring some troops? Come down here and help me conduct a survey. So they came down one Saturday morning. So I hand out all these surveys, and they go out, and this is this, and, and the survey would say things about uh, one one question that was startling to me said, uh, if you became convinced that Jesus was God and would give meaning to life, would you follow him? No. And we asked questions like that all down through the survey. We finally got down to the very end of it. It says, Would you be interested in searching the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about life? Yes or no? Well, there was a couple of people that checked that box. Yes, be interested. And so I, I was left with all the surveys, about 100 of them, to follow up. And so I started with the most interesting, the, the ones that were most interested first. And I went to this one dorm, knocked on the door, and uh, a guy says, uh, 
uh, come in. And so I said, hey, I, I, uh, is so-and-so here? And he's, yeah. And I, I began to uh, converse with him. I said, you know, uh, you filled out a survey last Saturday. And in the survey, you mentioned that you might be interested in seeing what the Bible has to say about life. Are you still interested? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, but could you come back tonight about 9 o'clock? I said, well, I can, I, can, I can work at that. Yeah, sure. So I came back that night at 9 o'clock. You know what it was? It was a trap. He went and got all of his buddies that had nothing to do with God or Jesus or Christianity or anything and were just hated religion and God. Just, I mean, just were violent. And so when I walk in about 9 o'clock, I knock on the door, come in, and I open the door and walk in and close the door, and there was about nine of them sitting on the different beds and on the tables and chairs and desks. And, and uh, I said, uh, <laughs> you know, I, you, all you guys want to be in Bible study? And so I said, um, I said, well, you know, I'm here uh, because that some of you indicated that you would be interested in a, uh, in a Bible study. And it started. And I mean, they attacked me with the most vicious, vile attacks you can imagine. I mean, anger won't describe it. Guys would jump off the bed over and run across. I'm stand, I never got any, any further than the door. I'm standing with the door back here with my Bible and my little Bible study book that I was going to suggest. And guys would come running over to me and stick their finger right up in my face, and they would be so mad, and they would just be spitting as that they would accuse me or the church or God of some heinous crime or some heinous concept. And it just, I mean, just the most vicious attacks. And that, you know what I would do? I'd say, well, you know, I don't, uh, I, I've never, I've, I've read the Bible through by this time probably seven or eight times, and uh, I've never found that. Where'd you get that? Well, it's in the Bible somewhere. I know it. And I said, well, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't, could you show me where it is? And, of course, nobody, for the two hours, nobody would touch that book. I offered it to several of them. Show me where you found that. Nobody would touch it. But I would quote them a verse. I said, you know, the Bible does say, and I deal with that issue. And, you know, in another place, Jesus made a comment to a group of people, and I'd quote them another verse. And another guy would jump up, and here he comes running, and he's screaming and yelling and pointing his finger and condemning me and condemning the church and God and the Bible and the whole nine yards of being evil. And I'd say, you know, I, uh, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think I've ever read that. But, you know, the Bible does say, and I'd quote a verse, and for two solid walking hours, I stood there at the door and took those attacks, steadily, consistently answering them by quoting the Bible. For two hours, I quoted the Bible to their objections. You know what happened? Finally, one of the guys jumped up, a guy named Mike Smart. Mike jumped up and he come over to me and he says, all right, we'll do your Bible study, but it's going to be on our terms. And I said, well, Mike, only, only criteria I got is that the authority, the, the Bible is the authority. That's the only, that's the only criteria. Everything else is up for grabs. And we started, five of them, we started a Bible study, five of them. You know, we'd meet at Dunkin' Donuts, nine o'clock at night, and we'd go sometimes to two or three o'clock in the morning. Asking them, asking me questions about, tell me about this God, about this Christ. And you know, I went, I went on a trip three or four months later. I had to go back to Navigator headquarters to a staff conference, and I had to speak at this deal. And I was gone two weeks. 
And you know, I got back and I, and I went out to see one of the guys and opened, I knocked on his door and he said, I opened the door and, and he, or he opened the door and he, and he saw me and he says, where have you been? I said, well, I, uh, I had a conference. I had to go. He said, man, don't ever do that. Man, you've been gone for two weeks. I didn't know where you were. And you know what he said? He said, you're the best friend I've got. You know, here, and all it was was just being equipped with truth that I could help them see. And they just became almost addicted to it. And we would sit at Dunkin' Donuts, and they would ask question after question after question. And none of them had a Bible. So I went up to La Habra, California, to the Lockman Foundation. They printed the New American Standard Bible. And I go up there and I say, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to minister to some students at UCI. I need some help. Do you have any Bibles that I can just have? You know, they gave me a whole case. New Testaments. And so I'd go down and I gave them all their New Testaments. They all held a Bible. One guy told me, this is the first time in my life I've ever held a Bible. And we'd say, okay, let's turn to page 64 and read 14. And that's how we did our Bible study. But I tell you, God changed their life. But you know what he did to me? What he told me, he says, Chuck, if you want to be equipped and you want to be able to help people, you have got to get this book in your head. And I had read Francis Schaeffer and I had read Michael Green and a number of other apologists trying to get ready this young ex-Marine officer to go out among these hippies and these wild-eyed freaks out there and, and present the gospel. I said, i got to get ready for this. And so I read all of these apologetics. I studied. And you know what was effective? The Word of God. They could not handle it. Are you equipped? I mean, have you got anything to offer? If a guy raises a question, can you help him with it? So I just, I just can't emphasize that too much. But that two hours that evening, I walked out of that dorm room that night a changed man because I had a vivid demonstration of the power of the Word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not. <clears throat> the fourth thing has got down, you need some tools. Can you give your testimony in three or four minutes? Three parts. What was my life like before I came to Christ? Number two, exactly how did I come to Christ? Number three, what's my life like now that I have come to Christ? Can you give that in three minutes, four minutes? Enough details to keep it interesting, but you don't want to bog them down. But can you, can you tell them your story in three or four minutes? Can you share the bridge illustration with them? If they're interested, can you sit down and share how that, that they can cross over into eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus for their sins? Can you show them that? Can you quote the verses and help them to walk through the bridge illustration so that they see a clear presentation of how they might come to know Christ and invite him into their life? <clears throat> there was a, another, and I did learn this from Francis Shaper, and we don't have a, we don't have our whiteboard, do we? <clears throat> What's on the side? Okay, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll spend the next 30 minutes trying to find a pen to write on it. But <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, If I could get a... I want to just... Uh, you know, I'll just put it on this chair here. <clears throat> oh, wonderful. Let me... Uh, you, 
use my handkerchief to let my wife put that in the washer. <laughs> okay. This is, what I, this is what I've used. And that is, uh, I've had guys that say, you know, well, I don't even know if there is a God. And I don't, I don't believe there's a God. And I've, I've talked to a number of atheists just like you, Dev. I mean, uh, and so I say, suppose this square represents all the knowledge in the world. Now, this is just a tool. This is your testimony. This is the bridge illustration. This is just another tool. And you say, suppose that square represents all the knowledge in the world, all that we do know and all that we haven't discovered yet, but all the knowledge that, can, that is known or can be known in the world. How much do you think we've discovered so far? How much of all the knowledge that's out there do you think we know? Well, let's just assume, let's just assume it's, uh, it's that much. We don't know, but let's assume it's that much. Now, the third question, let me ask this. Of all the knowledge that is known, how much do you know? And let's be real generous and say, you know that much. Right? Now, is it possible that God could exist outside your knowledge? You just said that God doesn't exist. There is no God. Is it possible that God simply exists outside your knowledge? So then the next question is, if God were to exist outside your knowledge, would you be able to find him or, should, or would he have the responsibility of revealing himself? Since you're finite and he is infinite, could you ever discover him as finite human? Could you ever find him? Or would God, who is infinite, have to reveal himself to you? Wouldn't it be sensible, logical, rational that the God of the universe, if he exists, would have to reveal himself? If God did reveal himself, would you be, if, if God did, would you like to know him? Would you like to know that? And so, see, when he says that God can't exist out my knowledge, he's no longer an atheist. He's, now he's an agnostic. And so I ask him, being an agnostic, are you a relative agnostic or, or a, 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 a absolute agnostic? Are you one that says, well, God, I don't know that God exists, and you can't know. Well the, well, the only way you can say that is that you know everything. We're back to the same boat. Or if he's a relative agnostic and says, well, God may exist, but I don't know him. Well, okay, I can buy that. That's no problem. I can buy that. But then the next question is, if God did exist, would you want to know him? And he says, no. So then I say, well, then the problem is not whether or not God exists. The problem is you don't want to know him even if he does. Am I not right? And the problem is not God. The problem is you. Am I not right? That's just a tool. And so you need to equip yourself with tools to be able to minister to people. I don't care who they are. And tonight, I'm going to try to give you the greatest tool that you can have. But I'm not going to tell you till tonight. But I'm going to give you a great tool tonight. Any questions so far on flying the flag, uh, being, being the best to gain a hearing, being equipped, and, 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 and knowing some tools? Any comments so far? Yes, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the thing that you want to communicate is that, that you are becoming the best and that you are putting in the time, but there are limits. And in my value system, I need, I need, other, avenues, I need other avenues of fullness in, to, to add to the fullness of my life. I need other things. Other things contribute to the fullness of my life. I can't neglect those. And so, but you, you demonstrate by your work ethic and by your habits and by your diligence, that you are that you are, a hundred percent in. But then you communicate. I can't be here tonight. I've got something. But I've got to. I've I've got other avenues of my life. I've got other values in my life that make me who I am. I've got to pay attention to those two. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I'd start a Bible study with it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I say, well, you know, the only place that God revealed Himself. All that we know about God is in the Bible. We don't know about God about, from any other source. There is no other source that we know about God. But if you'd like to know, you, we, we can look into this book. And it may be foreign to you, but we can figure it out. And I would, I would love to get into a study with him or her. Well, I'm not going to do it her. But I would do it him. I don't, uh, I don't uh, have Bible studies. I don't have anything wrong with ladies. I just... Uh, I uh, I don't do that. Yes, sir. Well, if you are, you got other problems. But but uh, you know the, the the Bible says for for whatsoever you do it do it heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. You're not working for other, you're not working for yourself. You know you're not working for other men. You're working for Jesus. Let me show you. Another, let me tell you another verse. I, I hate to admit this, but you know, I've, I have memorized verses before and have the, not have the foggiest idea what they really mean. I mean, isn't that, isn't that terrible? I memorized Luke five. I mean, Matthew five sixteen. Here it is. You all, you all, half of you can quote it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so I, every time I would review that verse, I think to myself, you know, it sounds a little arrogant to me. It's not like I'm kind of showing off. Let your light so shine before men. <laughs> they can see your good works and glory. Yeah, they can. It sounds like you're just showing off. And then one day I'm driving down the road in my, my old pickup, reviewing my verses like a good navigator. <laughs> and I'm reviewing that verse. And all of a sudden the light comes on. And what happens is I see, it says, let your light so shine, your work, your effort, so shine before men that they may see your good works. Not you. They don't see you. They see what you're doing. They see the quality of work that you did. Not you. You didn't elevate and exalt yourself. Hey, look what a great job. Look what a great worker I am. It's no, look what we were able to accomplish. And the work is what glorify God. Not you. And I finally saw it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Not that they may see your good worker and glorify you. No. If, if that's happening, you're not doing it right. There's something wrong. You are not doing it right. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I generally play that low-key. Uh, if somebody compliments me, I say, you know, I really appreciate that. I'm, uh, I'm trying. 
And uh, because I don't want to, uh, uh, I don't want to sound super spiritual, super religious. Uh, I want to be a real, I, I, I want to be, uh, I'm, I want to be one of them. But being one of them, uh, I'm not, I don't, I, when I say I'm one of them, I'm not, uh, I don't do all the things they do. But I'm a part, I'm a part of this team working on this project. And, uh, and I don't, uh, I don't try to sound too spiritual or too super spiritual or, or anything. So I, I would just say, you know, well, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying and just, and just going and continue to do that. That opportunity will come up tonight. And I'm a, see what happens. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. You know, there are certain things that you do that people just know. There's something about that person. There's something about that woman. They know it because there's just certain things that you do, the way you act, the way you respond, and they know. They know that. You know how I know that? Because the Bible tells me, by this shall all men, not some, not a few, but everybody will know there's something different about that gal. They'll know that. And at the opportune time, I'll share my testimony with them and how God changed my life. Three minutes or less. Good, good, good. Some good questions here. Number five, know the essentials from the non-essentials. You don't want to be against something that God's not against. I had a guy, a uh, good friend of mine, neatest guy on earth, and witnessed everything that breathed. I mean, he was such a faithful witness. And after he had a, took a night class one night, and, and after class, he and uh, this buddy that he was witnessing to always wanted to go out and get a beer. And he was witnessing to the guy, so he'd go with him. And he had talked to him about the Lord and the Bible, sitting there in the pub drinking a beer. And so he told me, he said, man, I'm trying, Chuck, I'm really trying. He said, man, there's a Denny's just down the road. And I think, man, if we can get down to Denny's and have a cup of coffee, that'd be better. And I said, why would that be better? You know, he said, you know... <laughs> Denny's and coffee is kind of a little better than drinking beer in the pub. I mean, you know, I said, why, why is that different? Why is that better? And I said, you know, there's, not, there's nothing wrong. God looks up out on, up on you sitting in that pub having, in fact, have a beer with the guy. And God looks down upon that and says, man, that is fantastic. He's sharing my good news with him. And you show me in the Bible where God condemns any of that. So know the essentials from the non-essentials. Don't fight that which God doesn't. Don't be against that which God doesn't. Don't refuse to be a buddy with somebody that God would, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, be a buddy to. I, I just uh, know the essentials from the non-essentials. And don't condemn a pagan for acting like a pagan. That's what he is. or That's what she is. She doesn't know God. She doesn't have the Holy Spirit in her life. He doesn't, he doesn't have the Word of God. He acts like a pagan. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me. I expect that. Never be, and I wrote down, never be shocked. I had a guy that I would invite over to my home who was living with his girlfriend. And I knew it. And they were a neat couple. He was a good-looking guy, and she was a very attractive gal. And they were living together. And I'd have them come over to my house and have dinner with my wife and my three kids. 
And you know what? They just loved it. And they would look at our family of here's a husband who loves his wife and his wife who respects her husband and three little old bitty kiddos that just, you know, are just there and we're taking care of them and we're carrying on two or three conversations at once. You know, a guy asked me one time, he says, huh? He said, you, you amaze me. You can carry on three conversations at once. You can be talking to two different kids and me at the same time. I said, you just, you just learn those things. But, the, but I'd invite the, guys over, the guy over to my, and his wife, is not his wife, his girlfriend, over to my house. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, they're living in adultery. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I know they're living in adultery. I want them to meet Jesus. Have them come over to my house. Have dinner with me and my family. And you know what? It would blow their gourd to see that family because they have never had it. They came as he got kicked out of this house. She got kicked out, rebelled. Parents won't have anything to do with them. And they come to our house and they see a family, maybe for the first time. And you know, and he knows what it's based on, the fact that we follow God. He knows that. So, just be be clear. What are the essentials from the non-essentials? Uh, one of the things you a lot of prayer in evangelism and ministry, because you cannot change anybody. Only God can change. Only God can change your heart. So I wrote down a verse here. Uh, John, let me see if I can, John 6, uh, 44, I have not memorized this one, I apologize. Let me, uh, 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one. Unless God draws him, he ain't coming. And I know that. The Bible tells me that. So you know what I do? I pray, God, would you draw him? Dear God, would you draw Nick and Linda to yourself. Oh God, would you just woo them to yourself. And so I pray for them. That the Spirit of God would do that. Verse, let me see, I was one other verse close to that. Verse 65, it says, it says this. And he was saying, for this reason I, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. Nobody comes to the Father unless it's granted to him. And so I pray, oh God. I just pray that the Holy Spirit of God would break through. And reveal to them how much you love them and you want them in your family. God, would you convince them of that? And so much prayer, much prayer in workplace evangelism. Okay, any, any, that's number six. Any comments or any quotes or comments? or Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry? I'm, I'm already gone past that. I can't go back in it. John, John, John 6, 44 and 65. John 6, 44 and 65. Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And that's what uh, God said of his people in Jeremiah. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. Jeremiah 31, 3. <clears throat> okay, number seven. They need some means of seeing you in life. That's why I invite people over to our home for dinner. They just need to see me dealing with the kids and my wife and us sitting there at a table. They just need to see, they need to see you functioning outside of, of the little Bible study that you meet down at Dunkin' Donuts or someplace. He needs, they need to see how you live. 
and so invite them to join you as you, as you are processing life someplace. You're out, you're, you're, you, you know, you, you're going fishing, or you're, uh, you're going down, you're, you're taking your family down to the park, and you guys are going to play, and you invite him to, he and his gal to come with him. You know, hey, why don't you guys come on down? We're going to have a picnic. Come on down. And he sees you in, in life. He sees how you function. He sees what you value. He, he sees it. He doesn't have to be told. He's looking at it. It has a tremendous impact on him. But do something that will bring him over to your apartment. I had an apartment full of gals in our ministry, and they would bring people over to their apartment all the time. Man, it, that thing was just like a magnet. People loved to go over to Patty's apartment. Loved to do it there. And Patty and Aida and Debbie and uh, who was it? Oh, uh, anyway, the four gals that were there, and they just they, they loved people. Can't tell you how many people came to Christ in that apartment. Amazing. But let them see you in life. Any comment or question about that? <clears throat> Number eight. You need to eventually get him in the Word. You're not going to make, you're going to make progress up to a certain point until you can get him confronting God's truth. You've got to eventually get him in the Word. And then the Holy Spirit takes God's Word and works on him. And that's not my job. But it's amazing to me to watch the Holy Spirit take a verse of Scripture and just drill the guy. And just embed itself in him and he can't shake it. And it's just wonderful. And I just go back and say, whoo! You know, I think to myself, he's in the meshes of the net. He's a fish. Swimming along, and he gets caught in a net, and he struggles, and he, and he begins to struggle. And the more he struggles, the more he gets enmeshed. And I think to myself, the guy's in the net. He's in the net. <laughs> <laughs> and the Holy Spirit just is working on it. But I get him in the book. I say, we re- hey, I'm just showing you a verse. I'm, not, uh, I'm just showing you some verses here, you know. <laughs> and he's in the meshes of the net. So... Get him in, you got to get him in the book. I think we're on number nine. Sometimes, eventually, you'll need a vehicle. A little Bible study group, a little fellowship, uh, something that he can begin to become a part of. You'll need a little group. And mostly, usually, that's not at church because he has a bad opinion of church. Right or wrong, good or bad. He, doesn't, he probably doesn't have a good opinion of church, so it's going to be tough to get him there. You, you can do that later. But he needs some little group that he can come to. Some little fellowship, some little Bible study, some little... He needs to begin to belong to something. And there was a question. Someone had raised his hand on a question. Yes? Uh, just in relation to um, what you said right before this one about um, taking him you know, through the net, through the yeah, Bible. Just get, get, in, get, get, him con- get him in the book, uh, get him confronting the Word of God and wrestling with Scripture. Uh, the book of John is, is phenomenal, but I don't, uh, it generally, it's not a book as much as it's just a, a verse or two. A verse or two on this t- subject, or a verse or two on this subject. And I'll let him wrestle with that. You know, this is what the Bible says about this, and I'll let him wrestle with it. And he'll, he'll say, well, I don't agree with that. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's fine. I, you know, that's what God said. I didn't say it. You know, it's just what God said. 
And I just, you know, but I said, you know, that, but you ought to consider if God said it, why, why would he say something like that? Why, why would you think God would say that? Because I want him to wrestle with it. I don't want him wrestling with me. I want him wrestling, because I know he's going to lose there. And, uh, but I want him wrestling with the Bible. And I may introduce another. I said, you know, you may look over in Matthew 12. There's a verse there that just intrigues me. Uh, let's, let's flip over there a minute. And I'll introduce him to another one. But here again, are you equipped to kind of rove through the Scripture and pointing out verses that are dealing with the issue with, which he, with, who, with whom he is he's wrestling with something? And uh, I hope you're equipped enough to just rove through the Scripture and bring those verses to mind that, that he can wrestle with. Need a vehicle. Eventually you're going to need a little vehicle, a little small group, a little Bible study, a little fellowship. It's good to, uh, to get him with another, you know, if he's a, a guy, get him with another bunch of guys that you hang with. Because the guys that you all hang with, you know, uh, that I'm hanging with, they're all fun-loving guys and they love the Lord and they're quality people and their character is just impeccable. And, and so I bring him, we, we're going to have breakfast. Hey, let's meet next, in the morning at 6.30. I know it's early. Get your bot out of bed and we'll get down. We're going to meet down at uh, IHOP at 6.30. So uh, I'll, I'll see you then. And so he meets with our little bunch. And he sees these guys. You know, I had a guy come to a backyard. On the, we met on the back porch. And he came and he, with a bunch of guys just like that. They were talking about ministry at the church at the, that they were at. And he left there and he said, those are the people that I want to be like. Though, that's who I want to be. Like those people. And that's how that group had affected him. And gang, the same thing will happen. He comes and he's around a group of you people who love each other and you care about people and you're humble and you're servant and you're giving and you're generous. And he says, I, I, you know, when my wife came to Christ at Oklahoma State as a freshman, you know what her prayer of salvation was? She may not even be a Christian. You know what she prayed? There's a guy named Jack, good friends of ours, good friends of ours. And Jack had gotten out of the Navy, served the Navigators, and went back to Oklahoma State and was having a tremendous ministry there as he did his, you know, finished his college. And my wife shows up as a freshman, and she meets this group of Christians, one of whom was Jack. And, you know, when she, after a couple of months, one morning she went back to her dorm room and got down on her knees, and she said, <clears throat> she said, God, I don't know what it is, but I want whatever Jack has. I don't even know what it is, but I want what Jack has. Isn't that phenomenal? Can people hang around you and say, you know, God, I don't know what it is, but whatever Mary has, I want that. Whatever Jim has, I, I, I want that. So uh, invite them to your little small groups. Let them observe you in action and in, in life. Uh, any, um, uh, I, number 10 I had down there is it's, it's good to occasionally meet them on their turf. Go to the bar where they are. Go to, go to their party. Meet them on their turf. And number 11, as I have the last one I have down there, well, the next to the last one, but it says, your goal in evangelism is simply to get them one step closer to Jesus. That's your goal. It's not to convert them. It's not to win them. Your goal is to make sure that they just made one more step closer to Jesus. That's what you want to do.
The only the last point I had was that you will only experience success in the things that you are passionate about. If you really don't care about people, guess what? You're never going to have a ministry. But you will only be experience success in the things that you're passionate about. So are you passionate about people coming to know Christ and enjoying the fullness of life? Is that something that just you go home at night and you pray for those people? But you will only experience success in the things in wh of which you are passionate about. And I am completely out of material. What do you think? Any, you, you wanna, <clears throat> Any comments or questions or I don't know what time we're supposed to what's the time we're supposed to end? How what time? Five fifteen? 5.50. Wow, you scared me to death there for a minute. Okay, it's 5.40, so we, uh, we we got 10 minutes to... Yes, sir? Um, when you were speaking about bringing a scripture around, like your group or so, would you tell your group, like, hey, I'm going to bring this? Yeah, yeah, and I'd say, be praying for him. I'm going to bring Joe tomorrow. And uh, I've invited him, hope he'll show up. But yeah, you guys be praying for him. And we'll all be excited about that, yeah. Yes? But what? Okay. So I'm I'm sharing, and and he just doesn't want to meet any of my my friends or go to my group meetings or again want to be involved in anything. I just uh, uh you know to me that's just prayer and time. It would never phase me. I uh, I'm, I, I try never to be shocked by anything that a, that a non-Christian will do or say or believe. I'm just never shocked. And uh, but uh, if he's if he's not ready, that's fine. But I'll pray for him and I'll keep inviting him. And one of these days, if something's going to come up, with you think, okay, I'll go to that. That sounds neutral enough. That sounds safe enough. You know, that's the thing. They're scared to death. That, uh, you know, they feel like they're out of control. They're, they're, they're not on, on their turf anymore. They're on your turf. And they, they, uh, they, they're losing control. I mean, here they are, one person amongst all these fanatics, and, and uh, they don't feel safe. So they don't want to go. Fine. Fine. Yes. If I can be blunt, ignore them. I got, I, I'm 70 years old. I don't have time to fool people that aren't serious about God. You know, go play with your toys in somebody else's sandbox. Uh, I, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, I'm serious. And, and you may, and you may you know, have the guy, have a heart for the guy and everything else, but he's playing games. And so I, uh, uh, there are too many people out there who want to walk with God and want help for me to beg somebody to, to start paying attention to God. And uh, I had a, I'm leading a Bible study right now back at our church, a watermark church in Dallas, or fresh, uh, uh, Plain, actually this was, is in Plano, Texas. Uh, guy shows up for the Bible study. He doesn't have it done. So uh, the way I operate that Bible study is that he doesn't get to answer any questions. We just skip him. 
And I don't do that because I'm mean. I do that because he has nothing to offer. And so we go around the table. There's eight of us at this table. We're going to I'll skip him when it comes to, his, to the next question. And then I, I asked him after this, I said, you, are you, yeah, you know, I, uh, I'll get it next time. I just had a really long, boy, week, work week was just a you know, slam. I just got slammed at work, but I'll get it next week. He showed up the next week, and he didn't have it done. And that's when I go to him and I said, you know, I think that we're more serious about this Bible study than you are. And I invite him to leave. Now, I got no time for people that... Uh, and I don't mean to be a hard-nosed about this at all, but it's your life. Who, who are you giving your life to? Who are you working with? People that you're begging to somehow get serious about the things of God? Uh, there's too many people out there that are hungry and needy and want help. There, that, well, there are on our part. Now, out here, they probably don't. Everybody out here has got it figured out. But back in Texas, they need help. And so a bunch of them do. Yes. Uh, not really. Uh, because I don't foster my values on them. These are my values. These are my beliefs. And if you don't buy them, that's fine. It will not affect how I treat you. It will not affect. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, I, I do not condemn people. I just, I just am not judgmental toward them at all. Christians or non-Christians. Uh, I, uh, I try to offer them a, a, sec a second choice in a lifestyle. A second way of living. But I don't condemn them. But I don't, uh, I don't pursue them. Yes, ma'am. Well, if I confront him about it and he tells me that I'm never going to do it again, now what do I do with it? The guy stole from the company and I know it. And I'm not saying anything. I don't, have to, I don't think I have that choice. And so, uh, one of the... Tonight, you, you guys keep stealing my thunder here, but tonight... <laughs> Uh, we, we're going to talk about love. And the motive in, in, in any, any, throughout the scripture there are two things. That's the, the act and the motive. What did you do and why did you do it? And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 and we will account for what did you do with your life and why did you do it? And in love, and when you're talking about love, the act of love is described in 1 Corinthians, 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, about 4 through 7. Love is very patient and kind. It's never jealous or envious. Love is never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. That's, that's what love looks like. Well, what's the motive? And this was a life-changing verse. I mean, this, this was another instance that took place about a month ago that, I mean, rattled my cage. And I read 1 Corinthians 4.21. I was, I was this past year, instead of reading through the Bible cover to cover, which I, I try to do every year, 
and have done for the last 50 years or so. But instead of reading through the Bible cover to cover, I, 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 just, I pulled some New Testaments out of my, my library that I use as reference material, but I never read them. And so I took the J.B. Phillips, and I took the Charles Williams, and I took the Wiest, and I took the Charles Beck, and I read all four of those New Testaments last year. And the Wiest, who is a Greek scholar, he's a guy that just spent his life you know, studying Greek words. Phenomenal guy. And his Bible was difficult to read, his New Testament, because he would take a, a verse in the Greek and he would explain what that verse, the picture that it means. Here's the word picture. Here's what this verse is picturing. Well, it might, the verse, instead of being, you know, a line and a half long, it would be nine lines long. I mean, you know, you just he explain all these words by the time he got through. Yeah. Wow. But in 1 Corinthians 4.21, Paul says, I'm coming back, I'm coming to Corinth. And he said, shall I come to you? There's two ways I can come to you. I can come and knock your heads, or I can come and love you. How do you want it? I can, I can slap you upside the head, or I can come and love you. How do you want me to come? And, that's when, when, and here's how it goes in 1 Corinthians 4.21. Shall I come to you with a stick? Or, or get this now, or in a love? And this is the weast telling you what that means. Or shall I come to you in a love that has as its impelling motive the benefit of the one loved? The exercise of, of which love demands self-sacrifice and in the spirit of meekness. And the verse says, I, I, the motive for love is your best interest. And if I say that I love you, you're a co-worker or you're a friend or you're a, a neighbor or a buddy, and I say that I love you, then everything I do toward you is always in your best interest. Always. And so if a person is stealing, what is, the, what is in his best interest? And you decide that, and, you, and I think you're going to have to go to his supervisor and say, you know, and go to him and say, you know, what you did was wrong. And I, I, I went to the supervisor and informed him that you have done that. I hope it doesn't cost you. But what you did was evil. Now, because you're, what you've got to figure out, what is in his best interest? Is it in his best interest to get away with it? Because he may do it again, just not let you see it. Or what's in it? But you've got to figure that out. Because if you love the guy and you're commanded to love him, New Testament, then you will do that which is in his best interest. Always. Always. Yes. Yeah, I would start off probably just, you know, hey, let's grab lunch and talk about some of the guys, anybody you feel like may be interested, and let's pray for them. That's the first thing I'd do. I'd grab lunch with him and just, you know, and I'd, I'd feel him out, but I'd, I'd, I'd become a buddy with him and a prayer, uh, uh, you know, a prayer partner with him. But I'd ask him, I said, you know, have you shared Christ with anybody? Do you see anybody that's really interested? Or what do you, what do you think? What do you, what do you think we can do? And then you pray about some things. And uh, that's what I would do with him. That would be great. 5.50. Well, I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. It's, uh, you know, I, I, well, I'll, I'll, tell it, I'll tell that story tonight.